I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. This June, the 7th through the 10th, Convo by Design will be back at the LA Design Festival. Last year, we covered the event as a media partner. We brought you coverage of some amazing events and conversations. This year, we're going back. And in addition to covering all the activities from the event at Row Downtown LA, Convo by Design will be hosting the Audio Design Lab, an experimental space dedicated to the craft of audio design. We'll be hosting conversations, testing new equipment and techniques in audio design, and inviting those of you with a design story to tell to come in and tell it. If you have a design-related story to tell and plan on attending the LA Design Festival, tweet at Convo by Design, hashtag OpenMicLADF, and we will send you a time slot. You could hear your story here or on Design Etc., the official podcast of the LA Design Festival. It's hosted by LA Design Festival co-founder Haley Zaki and produced by yours truly and Convo by Design Studios. Following is a conversation from the 2017 LA Design Festival called Food and Design. It covers the crossover and intersections where food and design meet. Publishers note here, you've probably noticed that I've been shying away from panel conversations here on the podcast. That is by design and for a very good reason. My goal is for everything you hear on Convo by Design to have meaning, purpose, and ultimately to be viewed by or heard by you as a really good use of your time. So every conversation you hear on the show is evaluated with that in mind. This conversation was both important and valuable for a number of reasons. Food, restaurant, and food packaging with regard to design is as important to those designers as furniture, lighting, and textiles are to the interior designer. The business decisions of restaurateurs, food packaging designers, and chefs is of equal importance as that of furniture manufacturers, architects, and showroom operators. So with that in mind, following is food and design. This conversation is moderated by AIGA board member Patrick Fredrickson and features Allison and Tim from Brothicary, Deaton from Take Flight Coffee, and John Zellick from Soylent. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, and I hope that you do, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a note and a five-star rating. It helps new listeners find the podcast. Enjoy this episode called Food and Design from the LA Design Festival. Combo by Design is presented by Snyder Diamond. Always first with what's next in the kitchen and bath. What does that mean exactly? Well, it means that Russ Diamond, second generation president of Snyder Diamond, scours the planet looking for the best products that simply make life better. He does just pick pretty products and he does something else that most people aren't going to do. He goes to the company to see how the products are made, to make sure you're getting the highest quality, and then he and his staff provide amazing service to make the shopping experience an absolute pleasure. And when one of these companies introduce a new product line that is going to change the way we live, it's a pretty big deal. Mila is proud to introduce the new W1 washing machine and T1 dryer. I'm super excited about this, and I think you will be as well. Why? Well, because this washer-dryer combo includes Mila's Immer Besser Spirit, Mila's stunning good looks, and technology that will not only make washing and drying clothes a better experience, it'll save water, energy, and time. The quick intense wash, for example. High level of clean in under an hour. Homeowners are going to flip for the steam finish of the T1 dryer. They are Energy Star qualified, which means you're doing your part and saving money. 
cap dosing, twin dose, detergent integration and processing that is efficient and easy to use. My favorite feature, the Wi-Fi Connect. Download the Mila mobile app and you can operate and receive notifications on your mobile device while you're listening to this episode of Convo by Design. How amazing is that? Architects and designers, this is yet another product from Mila that you wouldn't think about trying to hide. All this, Snyder Diamond Service, and for a limited time, you can find very generous offers from Mila on these and other Mila products at all three Los Angeles area Snyder Diamond showrooms. You can find addresses and store hours at SnyderDiamond.com. So I'm Patrick Fredrickson. Uh, I'm a board member for AIGA. I'm very happy that um, uh, AIGA has been able to be a part of this. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows, but AIGA is the oldest design organization in the U.S., and it's great to be part of L.A. because Los Angeles is the most creative city in the, Los in the United States. So, um, I also am a project director for a small design firm on the west side where we do experience design. Um, but I'm really excited to be part of this panel mostly because before I did design, um, I was a personal chef, a chef's assistant, and I always worked in food and always see this great connection between the experience of serving somebody something um, that they can eat and serving somebody something that they can build a business off of or support their business. Um, and with that, I'm going to begin introducing uh, some of the folks on the panel to talk about where design and food begin to intersect. I think we're going to get into elements of where in-house design um, can take advantage of business situations, where experience design can take advantage of situations, and where um, design can help to impact business models as well. So. Why don't we start out down at the end with uh, Brothicary. So if you guys can just give a little introduction of what you guys are doing. And So, hi, I'm Allison. I'm Tim. And we're from Brothicary. We're actually a vendor here at the Smorgasburg Food Festival. We started um, about a year ago with Smorgasburg being our uh, location. Um, we wanted to bring food, but not just food, but an uh, experience that in integrate good design. Um, and if you ever stop by our booth, you'll notice that we look very different than <laughs> our neighbors. Um, and that's one of our biggest intention is like to bring something unexpected to the food festival. So my background is in architecture. I basically help uh, Barth Carey consult on design and marketing and social media. So intentionally we wanted to, when we started Smorgasburg, we wanted to bring a different sort of experience to the food festival world. So it's not just Orange County Fair, nothing bad about those things, but we just wanted to, to give a little sense of how, how design can be injected into festivals and food related and that type. And Deaton from uh, Take Flight Coffee. Yeah, hi. Um, Deaton from Take Flight Coffee, like you just said, thank you. Uh, thanks for having us, it's really, been a lot of fun the last couple of days. Uh, yeah, so we're a coffee company. We're 12 months young. Actually, today uh, is our 52nd roast day that we've had, so that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we're a, I, we've been around, uh, well, I personally have been involved in coffee since I was 15 years of age uh, back in Australia. Um, I moved to America uh, 10 years ago, uh, Intelligentsia Coffee imported me from uh, Australia to Los Angeles to uh, be their roaster and quality control specialist 
uh, from 2007 to 10. Uh, from there, I did a five-year stint with an Australian company called Toby's Estate Coffee, um, designed their space in Singapore uh, and then moved over to uh, Brooklyn and designed their uh, warehousing roasting facility and three of their satellite cafes in Manhattan. And last year, it's my turn to take flight. So that's me. <laughs> nice. And then we've got John from Soylent. Hi, I'm John Zellick. I'm the senior creative at Soylent. Um, disappointed to see that uh, only a few hands went up when he asked who tried it, but hopefully by the end of this, uh, there'll be more of you guys. So, uh, Soylent is a product that was created about four years ago to solve a need of uh, our founder was working on a different startup at the time and was regularly eating frozen quesadillas and um, taking vitamin pills to uh, make sure he didn't get scurvy <laughs> and putting all of his time and effort and money into his startup. Uh, so he said there's got to be a better way. He developed uh, our first product, Soil and Powder, out of that um, and realized that there was a big community that wanted something like that. So since then we've developed uh, a ready-to-drink version and uh, a caffeinated version, which is the one you guys have today. And we've got a lot of products uh, coming down the pipeline um, that'll be very exciting. But really just uh, trying to create products that can help people eat uh, better food when they're in a pinch, when they need something, kind of grab and go. Um, yeah, excited to be here. Awesome. I think um, when it comes to food in the commercial market, I think one of the first places to start that you guys all have in common is some aspect of packaging, where we've got a product that ships um, uh, uh, via the web. It's, it's you know, not in stores necessarily. You've got coffee, which can sit up on a shelf, has a lot of display packaging power. And then we have something that has a very short lifespan um, and sits in food markets. And so I wonder if, if you guys can all talk about kind of like what, how you're using your packaging to kind of set yourself apart um, from anybody else in the market and, and also help to kind of keep your story moving forward so that it fits in. Why don't we start with Soylent down here? All right. Um, yeah, I think one of the biggest things for us um, is that we're not, we're, we're a engineered, uh, highly scientific food product that, uh, and, and we don't want to hide that. Um, so if you go walk down the aisles of the grocery store, there's uh, a lot of brown packaging, there's a lot of uh, sort of earthy tones, and, and that's a big thing right now is, is these sort of natural whole food um, types of foods, and that's wonderful and good, and we also enjoy those, but we don't want to fool anyone into thinking that's what we're doing. So we strip out all the unnecessary information um, focus on strictly what is required of us from a regulatory standpoint, put that on the packaging, create it, uh, cr use colors that uh, show you with, in, a moment's, in a moment like what you're getting from it. Um, and we don't try to add anything more than that. So um, I think that's gonna be very different from the rest of the panelists here. Um, we're just trying to be transparent and upfront and say this is what you're getting. Um, and there's no other, there's no two ways to look about that. And how, how's that different than in the coffee side of things where there's sort of a lot of expectations and a lot of good brand forward uh, coffee companies out there already? Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I mean, the, the coffee market right now is really hot. There's a lot of uh, coffee companies popping up everywhere, and uh, it's like the microbrewery revolution of five to ten years ago, uh, as opposed to microbreweries popping up and trying to make a difference between, I guess, a good product that had a high benchmark, uh, like, they had to make a make themselves stand out through their, their labeling and design. And so we, I had to, had to think about that myself. We, uh, and with the branding and the, the packaging, I wanted to put across an idea that we know what we're doing, we've got a lifetime uh, of experience, um, we've done all the work and we're ready to literally take flight. We've done, we've packed our bags, we're ready to go. Um, so we wanted something to uh, sort of put confidence in our customers that uh, it's not, we're not just a, for lack of a better word, a, a rubber stamp and an ink craft company. Uh, we, we've, we've done the work and we're ready to go. So um, I don't know if that really answers the question or not. But uh, yeah, we had to we had to formulate something that was. Uh, well, it it seems pretty obvious in your packaging. I mean, there's a lot of there's foil stamps on there. There's glosses on there. There's a there's a lot of elements that are going into that box, and then trying to get the labels on there on top of that and get the story across. And you guys just won an award for your packaging as well, so you're standing out in the crowd. And um, I guess coming in, you know, third wave coffee. There's already a lot of experiences out there. Like, do you have to come in at a level where people say, "Oh, we're serious," you know, rather, rather than sort of the craft paper, you know, ink stamp on it, and you know, we're just hustling to get by? You really do, I think, uh, and it probably goes across all uh, platforms in food, whether it's restaurant, grab and go, um, or ma even markets. Um, the consumer is. Uh, very educated uh, these days, so you you can't just you can't just um, sort of feel your way through. Like open up a, a corner shop and be like, oh yeah, well you know I, you know it's time to retire. I'm going to relax and open up a cafe and just see how it goes. You can't do that these days. You have to hit the ground running. Um, so, and I'm sure, I mean, and just by looking at company that's with us, that's what they've had to do as well. We, um, so, yeah, um, and I'm trailing off again. <laughs> I've had too much coffee and not enough lunch. <laughs> well, with you guys, with Brothicary, um, there's issues of uh, serving size that we've talked about. There's issues of materials for what you want to serve in. And then, um, and then Brothicary is also the only group up here that actually has a physical space. So, you guys, um, how do all those interact? Like, you know, what are people getting? What's the lifestyle? And then, uh, how are people engaging with your space when they're actually purchasing? So, I think we have to think when we started packaging our own broth is that um, we want to make it focus on the utility of the bone broth. So, everything that we package are single serving. They're easy for people to just grab and go, um, and that not just not that, you know, it, it has to look good too. <laughs> so translating that all into something that we have to uh, 
work around with really short shelf life with, we decided to um, package them in little uh, heat safe plastics that you can just stick on top of the stovetop and cook. So, you know, we have utility in mind, I think, when we design our packaging. And we've actually experienced with plastics, glass, and the problem with that is you're limited to weight and shipping and how, how quickly you can get from, you know, a product to a user's hand. And, uh, and the good thing about being a smorgasbord is that we can actually attempt and try different things every Sunday, how we engage with users. If things don't work well, then we kind of go back to this drawing board and try to do it again next Sunday. So it's a, it's a fine-tuning every Sunday, which is actually a very advantageous um, you know, platform to have being at Smorgasburg every year. Has, has everybody here checked out Smorgasburg at some point, right? And everybody's been to a, a food carnival, and it's kind of every 10 by 10 square looks pretty much the same. Um, but you guys kind of took that, looked around, and challenged it. Um, can you, like, what are you guys doing over there that's making you stand out? Um, having just gone through the process of setting it up every morning, as a, as a designer, there's always something that can be done better. You know, it kind of, it's a frustration of uh, setting up the booth every morning, and why can't this be easier? So, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of a way why we thought, maybe let's, let's make something that isn't really on the market where we can, you know, basically puzzle piece this booth that you see flashing behind back there. Um, yeah, it's something a little nicer, uh, gives our brand a little bit more phys physical appearance um, that's beyond just food. Yeah, and just really set the tone of the experience with the food. And you've set that up to be a little bit of a model of um, like where you can iterate something new every weekend kind of, kind of idea? Yeah. Um, as far as the booth or yeah. just the Yeah, sorry, as far as the booth. Yeah, uh, so it, it comes in kit of parts. Uh, it can be taken apart, placed in different, order, different sort of arrangements. So depending on how a certain vendor wants to set up their, their 10 by 10, it's very sort of uh, integrated and customized. So. It, you know, so there's this idea in design where you want to fail often, right? You want to fail quickly so that you can improve and improve and improve. But when you're investing into a year's worth of packaging design, you know, you're investing in massive distribution models. Like, that idea is beautiful for websites where you can recode, you know, on a daily basis. It's not very often that you have the opportunity to do it in a physical space. So, you know, when you're working on long-term products, how how are you able to iterate quickly or respond to things that aren't going right? Yeah, um, I, this is something we struggle with every day. Um, if you're familiar with our products, our, our first product, the powder, um, was launched as version 1.0, sort of took that, um, that, that uh, tag from the software world, and um, we're, I believe, at version 1.8 right now. So. Um, right from the beginning, we wanted to bake that into to what we did and, and this, this process of iteration. And, and whether it comes to design or the development of the products themselves, we're constantly going to evolve them. And we're using the best science available at the time to figure out how much of different vitamins and minerals the human body needs. Um, we're constantly being served new rules and regulations by the FDA. Um, on how you have to lay out the nutrition facts and, and how big of a font size you can use. So there's constantly these things that are changing 
um, this moving target that you have to hit. And um, our pack the, these bottles you have in front of you, the packaging takes um, roughly uh, three months to, you have to order it three months before the production date. So uh, you got to put a lot of faith in, in what you're putting forth. And then three months from then, if something has changed, um, you got to be on the ball and ready to change it again. Uh, so we're, we're always developing the next version or two versions down the line. Um, more traditional CPG uh, food companies will spend two years developing a new product uh, and we're doing it in closer to six months. So it really compresses everything we have to do. Um, and the biggest thing I've learned from that is that I have to be okay with things not being perfect or making mistakes because we're going to have an opportunity to fix it um, on the next run. So uh, that's, it's, it's a constant struggle, but it's, it's a pretty fun one, I, actually, I have to say. I'm glad you think that's fun. <laughs> I find that it's so scary. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, I'm, we're the same way. Our boxes uh, had a one-month one design process and then followed by an eight-week uh, print and build process. And then our bags are the same way. We've, we put a lot of time and effort into our inserts as well. Uh, which tell a whole another uh, different complete story. And there, that is a three-month production turnaround as well. And, I mean, you know, exactly what you said, our first year of, of operations, we wanted to tell a story which could very well change in the second year. And, and, and uh, it is very difficult uh, to be nimble when you're trying to buy... Uh, and project a three-month turnaround, but then also keep your cost of goods low so you're buying long enough to get that per unit down. Let's just say 20,000 units in my case. And then that's going to last, you know, 12 to 18 months. And you've kind of got to wear it. Um, yeah, so I find that, that is really hard. And the way that we... Our menu is always changing. So the way that we've had to get around that is by uh, our own in-house uh, printing and we have to print uh, each label uh, according to uh, the roast for that day and, and according to what coffee we have on hand. So, yeah, the base of the, the product is sort of static and then the label in itself is uh, constantly changing. And with your model, you've, you don't have an in-house design to you. have a small... You have five people on your team, three to five people on your team, right? Correct, yeah. And so when you went into actually like designing the product, you went to and you went to a design firm. Can you talk about like kind of what was the process of, you know, selling them on your story and how they kind of brought the story to life? Did you go with a picture? Did you go with a and I think not just in your packaging, but as I said earlier, like I want I'm gonna buy a hat and a shirt because the coffee is great, but I want to wear, I want to wear your image right now. Like you guys are going all in on what you're selling. Yeah, we wanted to create a whole sort of uh, lifestyle brand. Um, I think coffee lends well to uh, experience. Uh, so we go out for a coffee and we have an experience, whether it's on our own, uh, on our laptop, or in the company of others. Um, so we wanted to capture that, and, and I find the design process absolutely 
uh, exciting and exhilarating and, and, I, and I, I love the way a great designer works and, and how he can reach inside my head and my thoughts and just pick something out that's much better than I ever imagined. That, that's the best part of, of the design process for me as a customer. Uh, um, so yeah, well, I mean, uh, Mende Design, um, they're up in San Francisco. They did some rebranding for a company called Echo Cafe, which Intelligentsia bought back in the day and put the pillow on. Um, so that never saw light of day, but through that I, uh, I got to know Mende Design and, and already went in there with a level of uh, confidence that he was going to do a pretty good job. Um, and then really he just asked the right questions. Um, and, uh, and I had to be, you know, really he it's kind of like a counselling session. I just told him about my life which happens to be coffee, and I've literally grown up with it, and, <laughs> and, and the journeys that it's taken me on and the experiences that it's taken me through and the education that I've learnt by being fully immersed in, in uh, a different culture, in a different country. I travel to, you know, I travel to Coffee Origin uh, and I buy directly with the farmers, and so that experience, like I'm doing right now, I was just ranting to him, like, this is... This is how, how do we capture this? You know, and so he was able to, thankfully, like sort of pull that rambling uh, and make it into a, a story. And he was very clever in, in, in uh, the way he would present his ideas to me. Um, you know, I would be off here and he would, he would show four examples that, you know, when he started showing me my example and then the next, and I, I'm I could feel he was leading me down a path to where he wanted to go, and I'm like, okay, I can see this, that my idea kind of sucks, and this is getting better and better, and oh wow, you've really done a great job, and he walked away feeling great, and I did as well. Um, so, uh, yeah. You're not supposed to know that we're tricking you in that <laughs> yeah. way. I could tell. <laughs> I was onto him. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I love that design process, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, Allison, you came from fashion, from the fashion design world, and then moved into uh, developing this product. There's a lot of story. There's a lot of history behind that. Can you can you tell a little bit about like how you got to Brothicary, and but also then when you realized that you needed a design partner to come in and really make it happen? So we brought in design from day one. We understand the importance of branding and telling the story of um, the product. So, you know, not only do we focus on making sure our food looks really pretty, I think that comes with kind of my attention to detail from the fashion merchandising world, but also making sure that there is a brand identity to um, the whole company. So we value design, I think, from day one. We understand the importance of it. and. You know, I think as a small company, we constantly have to struggle between what to prioritize, like operation, logistic, design, but we put design up there for a reason because we really think that, you know, um, it's important. And even though we're in the food festival, that doesn't take it away. <laughs> yeah. And having my background in architecture, I've worked in, done retail, mixed use, and no, never done something like you're, you're just limited to a 10 by 10, so that was kind of an interesting challenge 
to try to design something that's you know that's has to be flexible, has to be put together by you know one or two people, and it's just something that's quick. Uh, and then, as she said, there's a struggle of design and and prioritizing, and so sometimes I would just go and, and work on some projects, and then basically pitch it to her and just say, "Look, you're gonna have to you know take it to a certain level where you're showing kind of other partners that you know this is." You're implementing something, you know, further later to kind of, you know, yeah. And I think kind of going back to Deaton's point earlier about how he constantly changes menu, um, I think we kind of struggle the same way, and I think that's a blessing and a curse because you want to build consistency with your product, but then you're constantly looking to improve, and not just in design, but in, you know, our flavor and the product itself, so. So how, how far ahead are you looking in terms of product? And then on the design side, kind of how far ahead are you anticipating, oh, you know, like maybe we need to be here in six months or, and, and then I think more importantly, since both of you guys are up here, like where's the conflict and the rub in those discussions? There's a conflict like every day, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, to prioritize. Yeah. I mean, as we're still very young, uh, we're just trying to grow. Um, going to different events, different farmer's market, and luckily the template is typically a 10 by 10. So you have some limitations of, and some rules about, you know, you're confined to certain, uh, you know, physical space. Um, yeah, but in terms of how far we're projecting out, um, I, I think we just kind of do it day by day almost, because we have that flexibility right now. Um, and, you know, I think that's, we want to take advantage of that until we fine-tune something that's perfect and then, you know, hopefully build consistency that way. And you guys are just over a year old, is that right? You're just over a year old? Yeah. In Deaton, you're just 12 months old as well? 12 months today. Right, which means Soylent is now the old man in the room, right? Yeah, we're the, we're the veterans. <laughs> that's rare. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, on that point, we, we kind of have the same challenges just on a on a bigger scale and in more um people with with louder voices i guess we have as we grow we bring in executives and and we've got a whole finance team and we've got a whole marketing team and we're dealing with our co-manufacturers and each of those groups has a priority whether it's to bring costs down or to put a whole bunch of marketing messaging on the bottle or to make sure that it runs correctly and ships to the consumer uh, undamaged. And, um, and I sit in the middle of all of those people and have to figure out, I do a little bit of my own prioritization and, um, and kind of whoever seems to have the most compelling argument <laughs> uh, maybe go that direction. But uh, at the end of the day, I want to make sure that the product looks the best and uh, gets to the consumer and provides the best experience that it can. So it's a bigger, it's a bigger system, but it's the same kind of challenges. And within that system, Soylent has, you have a marketing team, right? And you have an e-commerce team, mm -hmm. and then you've got the design team um, that kind of gets to interact with both of those groups. Yeah. And then advertising is an outside component. Yeah, uh, we do a little bit in-house and, and we also brought on um, an agency recently, Widen and Kennedy, um, and they're doing some of our bigger campaigns. 
Um, but we still do a good chunk of our work in-house just because we are moving so quickly and, and no, no creative that you're paying as a consultant wants to do something in two weeks, so uh, we'll do those things in-house. And sitting in-house then, I think we talked yesterday about like you get, to, you get to show up to meetings that consultants might not always be a part of and you get to hear things a little bit. Yeah, um, I just kind of try to always keep my ear to the ground and figure out where things are headed. If there's a new product that we're um, talking about developing, I'll start looking at packaging for that and what kind of creative things we could do because I know that once it comes up uh, and it's getting produced, it's going to happen quickly. Um, or we have a very strong community uh, who has loves to voice their opinions and we really appreciate that. Um, and uh, usually the, the loudest voices are negative, but it's a constant, uh, constant source of feedback on uh, what we're doing well and what we're not doing uh, as well as we could. So it, it really is a blessing to hear from our consumers firsthand on a daily basis. I can check and see what the forums are saying and um, adjust accordingly. So if we have a problem with, uh, if we see some, some of our products aren't arriving in the state that we want them to, we can, uh, we can just listen to that and, and figure out a way to shift that and correct it for the next production run. Is there, um, what's the biggest headache of being a small in-house team for a startup company? Um, I mean, I guess uh, the just moving quickly. We'd always, every designer wants to have more time to, to develop the uh, perfect packaging or, or the perfect brand, but... Uh, it's not a reality, and but but I, we also always need deadlines, so uh, so that's nice too. <laughs> and Deaton, is there a big headache for not having an in-house designer for having to go to an agency or a freelancer for work? Well, yeah, the sheer expense uh, <laughs> is the headache. Uh, yeah, I the the want like having a want to create. Uh, all the time, uh, I'm by nature a creative person, and uh, having to outsource that is it, uh, it's cumbersome. Uh, and yeah, you do have to work to um, timelines and, and deadlines, and, and, and I would love to do stuff the same day. And the reality is, as we discussed earlier, it's, it takes weeks and months to turn around. So. With the outside agency, you also have to provide a brief and give them all the background of everything where, um, in, in my situation, in sitting in those meetings, I'm sort of synthesizing the brief constantly in my head and then acting on it immediately. So you don't have to do, go through that formal process of, which I'm sure you have to do. And like you said, with your designer having a conversation and he's pulling out all the pieces from your, from your brain that, that need to be in that packaging. With uh, Allison, um, who do you, like, where do you see your biggest competition? Like, what are you guys trying, what noise are you guys trying to get past? Um, I think that bone broth, it's, there's still a lot of education to be done on the product, and that's definitely one of the biggest challenges to get, get it across to everyone that they should all have it, and it's really good for them. Um, and then... Beyond that, it's, you know, how to sustain, I think, in the food world. I think a lot of um, 
restaurant story is that you don't succeed. I think like 80% of restaurants don't succeed the first year, <laughs> something like that. So it's scary to think about that too. I think you know to be um, how do we make sure we're taking all the right steps without you know having to invest too much money into it and then um, getting the right help and then you know making sure that our product is going to sustain in people's life. So what, what steps do you guys what steps are you guys taking and how's design helping you with that to to educate the public on I mean really kind of a new product here in the US yeah. is that is Yeah, that right? I mean our recipe is actually very traditional ethnic it's it's Chinese inspired so I think the um, branding of the company it's very modern and contemporary and we hope that it's being able to kind of reach a different audience. You know, like something, it's, it doesn't look too foreign, it's not too exotic, but that it's modern and it's healthy and that people who are unfamiliar with, you know, ethnic broth are able to be um, comfortable being introduced to it because it's, it's a cleaner branding than, you know, what you typically are used to in a traditional setting. Um, so I think design really play a big factor in that sense. And the name itself, broth and apothecary, back to what Alice was saying, the Chinese influence. Um, I mean, look, looking at how apothecaries, the Chinese apothecary look, we're trying to imitate that, but strip out a lot of the, uh, not unnecessary, but a lot of history, but just try to modernize it and, and, and in a way kind of minimize all these other details and just and educate the, the, the audience that, you know, this is good for you and it's a lot of you know different sort of ingredient that's inside that can really benefit you know your health no, um, no, you guys are only located here in Los Angeles at the moment right Sorry. you're you're only here in Los yeah. Angeles yeah just Los Angeles yeah. but you go to but you do a lot of research yeah we do a lot of research you know we studied product that's already exist in the Asia market especially packaging um, I think that's really useful like how how people there uses it and because it's much more common there I think to have bone broth uh, you buy it package and you know you can have it ready to drink um, so we studied their packaging and how we can kind of use that as knowledge to apply to our packaging because we don't see a lot here and a lot of them here are different than what's you know in the other side of the world so and in Hong Kong uh, you can just walk up to a booth and and just get broth in a cup and you just basically just drink it and then you just go about your, your day. Either bone broth or turtle soup and all sort of, you know, interesting sort of liquid that you can, sup, you can uh, alternate from just drinking coffee and tea. With, um, now with the coffee industry, you know, we've had, we've gone from Folgers and good to the last drop and then we went into Caribou coffee and coffee bean and, and Starbucks kind of really, you know, creating something that was a little bit different. And now we've had this whole third wave blend, like where we're really talking about coffee, the way that we talk about beer and the way we talk about wine. And it's very much about experience. Um, that's been around for a while and there's a lot of noise. How have you been able to take advantage of the noise that, um, that groups like Intelligentsia created? And then what challenges is that creating for you? you know, now is the new kid on the block. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that, that is the question, like how do, you, how do you project yourself forward from that noise? Um, 
because, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you know, but coffee is everywhere. <laughs> and trying to cut a slice of that is, it is, um, it is a challenge. I mean, we thankfully have a lifetime of experience under our belt. I think uh, that um, uh, we've proven that by the, the quality of the product that we're putting out from, uh, started putting out from day one. Um, but uh, yeah, we just had to really uh, focus the branding and, and figure that uh, Okay, a show of hands actually. Uh, do pe are people here aware of the direct trade coffee model? Ish, you know, it, uh, Intelligentsia and Stumptown really uh, set the coffee industry into a, a new direction and, uh, and counterculture, um, uh, you know, 10 to 12 years ago when they started this direct trade model, which is a paying a better price for coffee based on perceived quality uh, in the cup. And uh, as a result, that literally sp spread around the globe and, and it's now the, the benchmark. So if you come in under that, uh, it's probably even harder to, to um, put yourself forward. Man, I, I, wish, I, mean, I wish I had a, a, a sort of, you know, an answer in 140 characters or less for you. It, it, <laughs> it's really a, a difficult one. How do we, how do we put ourselves forward? I, at the moment, it's really grassroots. It's uh, when we meet people, I'm, we're discussing that. Uh, hey, I had experience with intelligentsia, and I helped them in Los Angeles get a foothold and change this coffee scene here, on the on the coffee that I was roasting. That, that helps. Uh, my roaster as well now, Douglas Mills, is formerly of Handsome and Intelligentsia as well. And, uh, you know, so that, that is a tip of the hat in the right direction for us. Um, but yeah, it's, it's had to be really grassroots at the moment. And, that, and a lot of that's just getting out there and, and discussing our history more than anything else. Uh, with you guys, you, Soylent has a little bit of a different history, um, and I, I think, I mean, from what I understand, like for one, there's kind of a bro culture history that you're trying to move past, but then there's also this, uh, there's a product market that people are trying to stick you guys in. Is that right? Can you talk a little bit? Yeah. Um, I think more than anything, people want to have, people have this uh, idea of what Soylent is and what it's for. and there's a reason for that and it's perfectly understandable. I mean, it, it started in San Francisco by someone who was focusing on his startup over his personal health and wanted to be healthier. Um, on top of that, people like to associate us with um, products of a similar form factor. So a muscle milk or an insure, other sorts of drinkable nutrition. Um, and while I'd love for there to be this instant understanding of what Soylent is there for and what it's good for, um, is there's not. And, and we, we spend a lot of time educating or, or massaging our message so that people understand, like, yes, you can still eat food. We, we still love food. Um, that our competitors aren't 
uh, uh, we're not in direct competition with a, a family meal or, or going out to a restaurant. Um, so we're, we're constantly working to just broaden the appeal um, and sh show that, yes, everyone has eaten a meal that they regretted because they didn't have time or, um, or the effort or they, they skipped a meal. And hopefully with Soylent, you never have to do those things again. You can still, uh, and you should still, cook a beautiful dinner with people you love, but um, the next morning when you have a pile of dishes, maybe you can have a coffeeist, so. Um, Marketing, see, just like that. That's what we're trying to do. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> um, cooking a meal with somebody that you love, I mean, for me personally, that's one of the things that I love about food. Um, I live close to my wife's family, I'm the one who, you know, grills. My brother-in-law brings me drinks while I do it, so it's a really good symbiotic relationship. Um, <laughs> but, um, but that idea of, you know, cooking with people, of, of experiencing food with people, um, you know, you guys are all business owners. Like, how do, how do you, or, you know, or work with businesses, like, how do you make that connection to the actual person? Like, where is... Where do you see that transaction happening on a personal level so that people really hear your story and want to believe in it and become advocates for you in their own right and say, yeah, man, like, I really want to go just grab a cup of broth or, you know, take flight as the coffee that I want to check out or, you know, Soylent, like, I'm drinking it and not thinking of anything about it except for, you know, my body's going to be happy later. Um, I think that's easy for me because it's a family recipe, right? Like my, my broth are all recipe from my mom. So that's my story sharing it directly to the consumer. And I think I, in the beginning of the whole business, I was really shy to tell my story. I'm just, I don't like to put myself, like insert myself in the, um, the company that way. <laughs> But I kind of later learned that people are interested to learn about your story and why this product is different and how it is so true to you and your value. So um, I think, you know, I, I think that kind of answered your question, like how, how I share that directly with my consumer. How did you get past that uncomfortableness? I'm still very uncomfortable. You're still? <laughs> yeah. I think for us, we, we just try to be honest about what our product is for, um, that, that uh, we're not trying to get you to drink Soylent in a moment that you don't want to drink a Soylent. Um, but one of the most effective marketing tools that we've seen, and myself personally, is I'll send a case of Soylent to a friend of mine and, and say, just put it in your fridge they will use it all because there are those moments when when you need something like a soylent if uh, now there are certainly people who who take the time to cook every meal and and cherish every bite of those meals but for most of us you're, you've skipped a breakfast in your life um and and so just being honest about that that's what we're there for and providing you the opportunity to to experience that that sort of salvaging oh I'm really hungry and I don't have any food in my fridge, but I do have a Soylent, like, thank goodness, I can go on with my day now. Um, and just being that and, and nothing more, um, that's kind of the story that we're going for now. We, we don't, we're not trying to fool anybody.
Yeah, I think that's similar for us. It's honesty. Um, you know, we've, we just tell the story that, that we have as, as individuals, uh, the people that work for, work for me as well, and, um, and, and then also we've, I've had to, over 13 years of roasting coffee and buying coffee, I've sort of now have a narrow focus as to what I like, and I'm very honest in the, my decisions on how I roast a coffee, and I, I will approach uh, that that task uh, and what the end result is. And I, we want to bring balance back to coffee. Um, I think there's been a shift recently. No, I know there's been a shift recently where coffees are roasted very light. Uh, to the point where there's an actual roast defect in there for being too light and grassy notes are coming out and we're like, okay, we get that, but we're, um, we do roast light, but we are focused on balance, the whole cup. Um, and the connection, I guess, I mean, caffeine, I think a lot of people drink caffeine and, uh, and it's that moment of capturing thoughts and relaxation before you take on the day. It, it's the moment from <laughs> sort of dreamlike state when you get out of bed to, to collecting your thoughts, uh, setting up your task list and then, and then you know, stepping out that front door. I, and that's a very personal, I think that's a very personal um, moment for people. At least that's the way I see it. And so, I don't know. We just have to be honest and uh, hopefully people just like that. Uh, coffee that we've decided to roast in our particular way. With the the length of time you've been in your particular industry, like what what challenge do you see a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, for your company or for coffee, and how how do you see design impacting that to give you a strategic advantage? Challenge, challenges, you say. Um, Look, I think there's still, there's, challenges aside, I think there's still a lot of potential uh, and a lot of growth to be had uh, in educating people, like you were saying, to an entirely new product, uh, or even there were some hands today that didn't acknowledge that direct trade was a thing. So there's still, there's still a pro, that would be a challenge, I guess, educating people that this is like a benchmark. We. Uh, fair trade uh, is nice, but we're paying premiums that are far above and beyond that, even double that, uh, based on uh, the quality of coffee and, and the sustainability that comes from that. Um, it's still something that we need to constantly discuss. Um, I, you know, I think coffee is a very service-heavy industry. Uh, the most immediate challenges I see within the food sector as well as just beverage, food and beverage sector is, is uh, the cost, the general cost of running a business. Wages are going up, minimum wages will be uh, $15 an hour very soon and that, um, that's something that business owners uh, need to probably grapple with sooner rather than later. Um, you know, I, I predict you know, a lot of people comment at 
the, the plate sizes of food in, in America, and I predict with the, the, the current hike in, in real estate and, and factoring higher wages, you'll see those plate sizes shrink uh, considerably when they're thinking about the cost of how much that plate is. So I think, yeah, the, the biggest struggle really is going to be financial and, and, and how to, to get around uh, keeping people uh, gainfully employed. And Allison, what about you guys with Brothicary? And you've got, and you're, you're a year into it, and you're trying to decide where the next, like how to maintain what you're doing, and then are you going to move into a retail space? What are what are the challenges that you see as you're really putting a vision to this company? Um, and then where's where's design going to come in and, and help you stand out uh, past everybody else? Um, I think in the food industry, you just have to stay relevant. Constantly, so um, yeah, I think that would be a big challenge, and not just relevant with food trend, but also with design trend. Making sure that you know we're not introducing something in the design aspect that has been shown before, but always keeping ahead of the game. Um, and if we do move into brick and mortar, I hope that we'll be able to. I mean, I, I, I actually look forward to it more than thinking of it as a challenge. <laughs> I hope that that day will come because I look forward to all the creative things that we can do with it. And initially, the founders wanted to get into e-com. Uh, having backgrounds in fashion, you know, when, when a product comes down to just being numbers, it's, it's, uh, for them, it just comes very natural. And, uh, now that you know there's a possibility of going to retail, um, I mean, having doing this every Sunday, it, it's kind of an interesting approach to kind of there's two different directions that that since we're so young that you know either, either way could be could you know it's very much kind of an experience. And then I want to uh, hear what Soylent has to say also, and then after that I want to see like what questions you guys have so that we can keep this going from your side. Uh, yeah, for us, I think. Um, we can probably, I think we're maybe swimming against the current of the current, uh, of, of how food is going right now. So, I mean, fingers crossed that either we are on the front end of, of a new trend or we can continue to find a place in uh, a whole foods type world, um, which I personally think that there's always going to be a space for a healthy, uh, convenient meal that's affordable. Um, what what challenges we will face as is more as we grow as a business we and we expand um, if we reach into new regions it's it's issues of reformulation um, using ingredients uh, finding new sources of ingredients uh, that are that are local to the area to keep costs down or um, I mean we'll have to translate translate the packaging into other languages and and uh, use new uh, regulatory standards and things like that. So um, for me, I think that the challenges as we grow uh, and how we can use design to solve that is just to, to continue finding creative solutions to um, traditional food uh, production challenges, uh, which I think we've done a pretty good job so far in standing out on the shelf in a, um, in a, in a market where everything has a, a star on it that says how how great it is for you, um, I think we can continue to to be minimal in our approach and and efficient more than anything, 
um, as we expand and face new large company challenges. Uh, I think that that's what we've got today. So can we give a hand to Allison and Tim from Brothcarry, to Deaton from Take Fight, and John here with Soylent. And uh, thank you, LA Design Festival. Convo by Design is proud to be working with Vendome Furniture. Their design culture is the key to their success. It's what pushes them to consistently create new collections that give spaces a new dimension. They create dialogue between environment and form. Vendome pieces can transform the simplest space into one filled with glamour that is both unique and extraordinary. And isn't that what design is all about? Creating atmospheres where you can take hold of life and enjoy it to the fullest? Vendome products are simple and elegant, contemporary and exceptionally comfortable. Their crafted, modern, durable, molded resin, glass, and metal designs are unique. They beg to be enjoyed. Have you seen them featured in our videos? Check out our YouTube channel and see this for yourself. You can also find them in their showrooms at the D&D Building in New York, Wynwood in Miami, and the Pacific Design Center here in Los Angeles, or online at vendome.com.